This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I know this, this is a really strong um, and very powerful both game and film. Um, so um, what I'll do is actually start with some questions. David and I have been talking, and thank you, David, so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks for, for having me. Thanks, He's, everyone, for staying, too. He's actually coming straight from Austria, so very jet-lagged, and um, so we really thank him for coming all the way here. Um, so I have a lot of questions. Um, I've seen this film multiple times. I, ha- I actually watched it multiple times to steal myself for this uh, process, and, um, and I have also played the game several times, and we had a, an open play session at Wireframe that many of you came to. Thank you for that. Um, so I'd love to hear from you guys, but um, my first question is actually... Um, just what sparked your interest, as well as uh, Malika Zuhali Worrell, who's your co-director producer on this film. But right, Malika couldn't be here today, um, right. but she she sends her well wishes to all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, I read a brief article on a website called Kill Screen Daily, which is sort of a gaming news website that's more art focused than just news in general focused, and it was just a two sentence description of this video game that was like in progress and it was nowhere near complete, but it was just a sort of 10-minute demo that had premiered at a game conference called the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And just reading those two sentences, um, A, it felt like almost like reading a, a film festival synopsis because it was just about this, this man making a, a, a video game. And to me, what was interesting about that as a, as a filmmaker who wasn't involved in, in video games was what, you know, what would a, that game look like? because mm-hmm. there was no precedent for it as far as I knew. Mm-hmm. And what would the experience of making that game be? You know, what, what would it be like to emotionally go on the journey of not only making art about something so painful, which people have done, but to actually transmute that into a virtual interactive forum? Mm-hmm. That's something that, that um, I couldn't quite imagine. And so I contacted Ryan and Josh Larson, who's not much in the film, but is, is very much the co-creator of That Dragon Cancer, which is the name of the game, um, and reached out to them and we talked about uh, you know our favorite films and uh, why I was interested in following him uh, and and his story and the video game and uh, and he agreed to let us film and we went out for our first shoot um, we're based in Brooklyn um, and he's in uh, Denver Colorado outside Denver went for four days to film for our first shoot and a lot of that footage is in the film mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it started a, a year and a half about of filming that that first shoot yeah and I I should say that um, the reason I was interested in bringing the film and also uh, kind of staging the game alongside it is because there, it is so unusual in the world of gaming. Um, and most of the time, especially, people um, tend to think of gamers as being young, young men um, playing first-person shooters or, or games that have a lot of sort in of basement, violent... Usually. Yeah, in yeah. a basement... Um, afraid of sunlight, that kind of thing. <laughs> but you bring up a great point, though, right? Because, sorry, I know you have probably no. have a question, but you bring up a great point because, like, the demographics have completely changed. Like, mm-hmm. if you've ever played, like, Angry Birds on your phone, like, you're by definition a gamer, you know? And that's, I think, also opened up uh, the dynamic to think about what a game can be. Right. And that's something that I was completely unfamiliar with when we first started. I mean, uh, as I was saying to some of your students before, who are great, by the way, thanks for coming out and spending the entire day with like this game and film. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I was saying before is like I, I, I like played a little bit like Super Mario Brothers as a kid, but right. like to think that this would be a, a medium that I could consider an artistic medium of self-expression mm-hmm. that did not occur to me, and I think it's a surprise for a lot of people. Right, and I, I think the game also for those of you who have tried it. 
um, subverts a lot of the kind of common expectations that you have around games, which is that you do things. You have a lot of agency. You, you can solve problems. You can kind of come out on top or be the hero. And um, as I think um, Ryan Green in this film suggests, a lot of the the game, um, you can't progress unless you, you stop struggling. <laughs> you actually have to choose not to do something or, or just watch. Right? And it's so different from what um, standard games are like. Um, so uh, you mentioned that you're not a gamer, or mm-hmm. you, you've played just a little bit, and I think um, also Malika is not also so, to sort right. of self-defined as a gamer, right? Well, but, that, that was the case, right, until, until this. Right. Yeah. And then after this, I, I got a lot more interested in the idea of these video games, and particularly this idea of, it's, it's sometimes the code word in the industry is, is um, empathy games, but a lot of the creators of these games actually reject that label just because it, it could be a little reductive to call, to call a game empathy game. Um, but uh, in this case, um, there's these autobiographical games or biographical games or you know, games that are based on some sort of a nonfiction element. And we actually, after making this film, uh, we made a, a piece for the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, did I get ahead of no, myself? No, no, I was going to, I was going to actually <laughs> yeah. plug that. It's an amazing Thank you. Amazing yeah, it's, it's called Games You Can't Win. And it's just a seven-minute video that profiles uh, Ryan and Amy um, well after the game was released. Because um, the film was released before the game was. And the game came out last March. It's a really critical, uh, great critical acclaim. And I would definitely encourage you to check it out. If and you the, want and the video op-ed also features Anna Anthropy, otherwise known as Antipixelanti, who mm-hmm. has made a number of, of sort of art, art games, but her most famous one is Dysphoria, which is about her experience of sort of a gender transition. And, exactly, and, um, and the frustrations right. around it, and right. um, turning the game, the, the, the trappings of a game, into part of the medium. The fact that you get frustrated, the fact that you get stuck, that was her, very much her experience. And so the, the very element of gameplay is something that gets interrogated by some of these games. And there's another game that we profiled called Neverending Nightmares, which is about mm-hmm. um, OCD, Right. Um, right. And and you know very very like it's like a horror game. Right. Uh, you play it as though it's a horror game because that's you know what this this gentleman Matt Gilgenbach, the creator of the game, feels. Um, so it kind of opened up this world to us. Yeah. Uh, this game did, and that all, that world also opened up opened up even more when we went to PAX Prime, which is that game conference that you see halfway through the film in after, Seattle. In yeah. Seattle, which because yeah. that's really when we realized how special. Um, that Dragon Cancer was when we saw those reactions from people. Um, and I told you that's one of the most moving scenes in the film because mm-hmm. you expect that you'll be moved by the Greens. Right. And, um, but uh, the young man who's really, like, really deeply affected by the experience of playing. And because I've been to so many of those game conventions where it's just um, a lot of sort of like noise and mayhem and people wandering around looking for free stuff and, and the most powerful, most graphically intensive game. And so the, the experience there is so different. Right. Well, that scene, I mean, that whole scene is very, for me, it felt very autobiographical because, like, that was my first time at a game conference. And I edited that scene the way it felt, which was mm-hmm. we get to this place and it's these mm-hmm. massive explosions and, like, and huge screens of violence. And I'm not saying there's anything implicitly wrong with those games, but to be that that environment and also be, like, seeing that dragon cancer tucked away in a corner, it's mm-hmm. like I was really terrified for those guys when they first got there, you thinking, like, how will this mm-hmm. game be received in this hyper-masculine environment, frankly? You know, because that is the space of the... It's, the phrase is AAA, right? This idea mm-hmm. of, like, um, 
big budget games. The same way there's like big budget Hollywood films. Game, the gaming industry and the Hollywood industry, like it, the gaming industry makes more money than film. I, I'm not sure if that's common knowledge or not, but it's like it's generally true that like the best selling games of the year make more than the best selling films of the year. There's much more money in the gaming industry than the film industry. And there are these big budget games at these conferences. Mm-hmm. So it would be as crazy as, you know, walking into a conference that had like La La Lands and <laughs> Mad Max and tucked away on the side was like, you know, your student film from when you were 16, you know, and it's like, and you're supposed to like give each one the same amount of attention. It was crazy. And so I was really afraid of, of what the reaction would be. And they were too, obviously. Um, the experience of, of people playing it. First of all, no one refused to sign a release, which mm. I found really amazing. There was mm. such a community that built up from people wanting to play the game, which was a really big surprise to me. But I think people were really excited to have this kind of experience right. at an environment like that. Right. People, many people, I won't say all, but many people do want to rebel away from the perception of what gaming is um, and think about it more as a place where art can flourish. And, uh, and I think that that's an exciting thing, especially given how much toxicity there is within the gaming community. Right. Um, right. But that, was, that scene was... You know, that was really the, it was a sec- second shoot, and it's really mm-hmm. the moment that I knew there was a special story unfolding with mm-hmm. Ryan. Because also in that, in that moment is, you know, Ryan really coming to terms and struggling with the fact that he's there and not with his son. Right. And that was, I'm not a father, but, but, um, but I, 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 can't, I can't quite imagine slash can imagine how painful that would be to be having the greatest success of your career simultaneous to your son, son's health being the worst it's ever been. Yeah. And that was really this moment of, of, of intense friction and, and emotion that helped us, me and Malika, understand that, that we had a really um, difficult story on our hands, but one that was even more you know, important to tell. Yeah, and I, I, you know, one of the questions I was thinking about asking is about, about the fatherhood theme, because it really does focus more on Ryan than on Amy, even mm-hmm. though I know she's flourished uh, in the time after. Oh. Yeah, yeah, just to say, um, so this is just a side note, and I'm sure, you know, you guys, there's more to say about them, but Amy has now, you know, really become a huge, like, force in the gaming world. She just did a TED Talk in New York, like, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She's, she's started a studio with, um, with Ryan and Josh and, and the other members of the team, um, and they're really, uh, she's working really, really well at doing this incredible work um, and uh, and that's something that I think you know a lot of that came from being able to turn this into her creative outlet. There's you know at the beginning of the film you hear her say you know it's mm-hmm. sort of passing, but she's like this is much more his creative outlet than it is mine. And I think it's because she didn't she wasn't able at that point to take ownership of that creative um, that creative space of of being in video game worlds because the video game world is more masculine it than feminine. And in, ter- in terms of your first question, I mean, this at the, when we first started filming and for much of filming, Amy was more doing more writing than working in the mm-hmm. same equal space as everyone else. Um, but obviously that changed um, towards the end. Um, but it was always, I think, going to be a film about withholding emotion mm-hmm. um, and about expressing emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is... Um, a thing that that men do more than women, you know. I think I think it was a, it was very important for me at least to to make a film about a father son relationship mm-hmm. and a father's relationship to his own feelings mm-hmm. and his inability or ability thereof to to express them, because we do live in a society 
that um, it's not just America, as Ryan says, you know, right. but it is worldwide. It's 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 generally more difficult for for men to express their feelings. Right. Um, and and I really wanted to um, to spend as much time with him as I could yeah. on that front. Yeah, and I think uh, in gaming now you're seeing more games express fatherhood oriented themes as a generation of. The people who play, played games growing up are now becoming fathers yeah. or mothers or um, uh, making games. Um, so it's in The Last of Us, it's in Heavy Rain, it's, it's in uh, quite, a few, um, quite a few games um, where that theme had really never existed before, maybe five, five to seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe what we could do is open it up to some questions um, from the audience. Hi there. Um, as a documentarian, do you believe that a more interactive medium takes away from what a director could say? Because it cuts what you intend. That's like the shortest and best question I've ever heard. <laughs> um, well, a couple answers. I mean, first of all, I think that interactivity adds a lot to creative, creative artwork. Mm. You know, I think that and Ryan will talk about this a lot, the fact that you can interact with something lets you use personal, personal pronouns instead of, like, like, that happened in that story. And he gives, and many independent game developers give the example of, like, if you're playing Super Mario, which was, the, before this, the first game and only game I had real experience with, like, if you're playing Mario and you're, like, playing through the level and, you, and you know, your character dies and you fall down the hole, it's like, I died. It's not like, oh, Mario died in this instance. You know, like, like you're, you're feeling it. You're, you know, like you're controlling the, the interactivity. You are controlling the pace through which you're exploring a story. You, you know, when you're reading a book, you can't like read slower to make a scene go slower. You're relying on the director, or rather the writer of the book, writing in a way that makes one think more slowly or makes one interpret a moment more slowly. If you're watching a film, I have to edit this for you. You know, you can't edit it while you're watching. You can't close your eyes if a scene's too long and, like, then the scene's shorter. But a game lets you bypass all that. An interactive art lets you bypass all of that. It mm-hmm. puts a lot more power in the hands of the, um, of the interactee, the player, whatever word you want to use, but I do think there's a lot more potential for a game developer to kind of keep that in the back of his head and say, say like, okay, I'm, I'm ceding some control away mm-hmm. from, from, the, you know, the, the, from myself by giving this experience to them. So how can I populate the world better, right? Like that, and that's what a lot of game developers talk about. Um, that's what Ryan would talk about. He kept saying he wanted to make the world feel really lived in. Like he wanted an environment. He wanted things you could discover. Mm-hmm. There's these, when you play the game, uh, for example... Uh, in some of the early scenes, there's, if you go to the right part of the forest or the park, you can hear these voices. And they, it's, it's what they call an Easter egg. It's just like this little hidden thing that really adds a lot of context and story to the meaning. And these voices are just like the voices of the spectator. They're, the idea, I don't, want, I don't want to ruin what the voices are saying, but um, because I really think it's important to try the game. I mean, the, the whole special thing about this to me is that this film works with the game. There's so much collusion between the two. Um, and, uh, but anyway, to, to answer your question, I mean, it's really complicated. I'm not sure there's one answer, but I do think that interactivity truly adds an incredible amount of, of, of creativity and, and immersion into art. Uh, and it also creates far more challenges and re- more responsibility for the creator of the art. I hope that I hope that helps. 
hardest thing I've ever been asked. <laughs> I actually wondered about how you, how you and Malika interwove the game recorded footage with the live footage and other, uh, it seems like there were other animated techniques that were used as well. Yeah, the, well, the, I guess the, mo- the most important overarching principle for that, for us, was Malika and I, it was very important to us to make sure that whenever we use the game footage, mm-hmm. um, it was, A, not, not cannibalizing the story of the game. Mm-hmm. We never wanted to feel as though we were just leaning on another piece of art mm-hmm. to tell our piece of art. So that, therefore, we kind of thought of it less, we looked at it like it was a movie. Mm. We had to kind of think about it not, because it's hard to depict interactivity, right? That's why we left the mouse clicks in and the sounds of the mouse clicks or things we made sure we could bring up in volume so you could hear them. We wanted to suggest the feeling mm-hmm. that you were interacting with something. But uh, the main point was that we always wanted it to be an in, an, an, a window. Mm. We always wanted the game to be serving as a window into the mind of the main story out of our film, which was, which was Ryan. Mm-hmm. We always wanted the, the game footage to appear at a moment where you're like, what <laughs> is, is, is he thinking? What could he be going through? Because that's what the game is mm-hmm. to him it, 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 and, and to Amy and, you know, and to, to a degree the other people who worked on the, on the game. Um, it was a way for them to express themselves and we, ne- we had to continue to, to keep track of, of that. Right. We actually, in our class read about machinima, which is uh, machine cinema, so uh, footage that's used using a game engine and game camera angles. And so I think we we discussed the the kind of idea of a cinema cinema perspective within games, being able to manipulate the camera angle or Mm -hmm. the editing and to use the game uh, world as just another kind of photographic device, right? right? So um, other questions from out there? Hello. That's cool. Um, I uh, uh, maybe my eyes a little deceive me in the, in the in the video itself or in the, in the movie itself, but it looked as though at some point um, in the in the game that it, it might have been designed to, as opposed to a point and click adventure, more like something where you you know click, uh, move a joystick and it makes the per- character walk. If that was the case, then what prompted the switch between that and the other? Uh, style of play, and if not, then why did they go to the point-and-click adventure as opposed to the other style? Sure. Um, I, I, think, I think the most likely answer to that is that we, um, there, we filmed over the course of, of 14 months, and over the course of 14 months, there were very different incarnations of the game mm-hmm. that were being created that we took footage from, and so the film came out before the game did, so we, we, we've been like making the film as we, as we were filming. Like we were making the film as the game was being created, so we never um, got like the final like game capture in. So you might be seeing clips that were from a first incarnation that it was joystick, or we were screen capturing from a console versus from the computer game. Mm-hmm. We tried to put in the, the mouse icon, if that's what you're talking. That's what you're talking about, right? Like the sort of like click here to go to this place, or like tap to open the phone, the stuff like that. On a regular keyboard and mouse game, like suppose like you have like the W the arrow keys, right? Yeah, something like that, where you're actually walking around the map as opposed to just clicking and getting sure. Keys. Right? Yeah, I think the the mouse clicking was always pretty intentional, or the idea of move. If if there is a mouse and not if you're not playing on a console, um, a console for the folks who don't know, you know, like something like an Xbox or a PlayStation versus playing on a PC or a Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the general point was to, and I, I can't speak exactly for them, but it was generally always to have that very obvious interactivity 
to help people who didn't understand how to interact with the game interact with the game, right? If someone's playing, a lot of people who have played this game have never played a game before, you know, or haven't played a traditional game before, um, or have only played iPhone games before. And so I think having those icons was just always a really helpful way to know exactly, like, this is what your action is going to do next. This is how you navigate through the world. Thank you very much. Thanks. Um, I'm kind of curious how you, th- you think about translating... I mean, because the, the film is sort of ostensibly about game development, um, which is a, a sort of technical and, you know, and, and fairly rigid process. So I'm curious, like, how do you sort of translate that into, um, into cinema? It was really difficult to, um, like, have footage of people just, like, typing on keyboards. <laughs> Unity 3D. For 80, for 80 minutes. <laughs> right. But we kind of, there's the only, we only have that one scene in it, mm. you know? Like, we have that one scene that is longer because there's something very, there was something very captivating to me about the code on the screen, the, the kind of infinity of that. And, the, and we show those shots of like, um, we called it the infinity plane, which is just like that huge and infinite landscape um, with the avatars, the characters kind of just sitting in them and like the animated versions. And that's, that's essentially how we leaned into trying to depict the world of game development. And from the very beginning of the film. We couldn't make a film that was kind of just based on tracking Joel's health. You know, it would have been too much. Uh, and, we, and we really wanted to lean into the game development in, in a way that didn't alienate people who weren't interested in game development or who, you know, or, and we didn't want to go too far into like the mat. And there's a lot that we filmed that we left out, but it's in the special features, so um, feel free to. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but we really wanted to focus on sort of the, the, the philosophical element of the game design. If you have infinity in front of you, what can you make with that? What, how can you ex- control a player's experience? How can you dictate the terms through which a player, by controlling your avatar, interacts with it? One of the first scenes we have, right, is, is talking about the avatar's blank faces, mm-hmm. um, which to me is one of, is actually the, the, one of the reasons I first got excited about the, um, about the game. Because I was saying before, like I read this article, but then I saw the concept art, which were those three images that you see the, towards the beginning of the film. It's these blank faces, these avatars. And I, was, I thought it was beautiful. And it's what Nat, well, the, the, the designer in the, in the film says, it's like, yeah, like maybe without facial expressions and facial features, you are putting yourself into that space. You are putting your family member that you've lost into that space or someone that you're thinking about into that space. And that's what's special about those conversations about the, the gaming design. That's what interested me and Malika as people who were not gamers or were interested, frankly, at all, really, in like the, those other games. It was just this one because this was the only one that was art. You know, like that's like, that was this mentality. But obviously we don't feel that way at all anymore. Um, and, this, and this particular game had these sort of bigger, deeper questions that we were really that did make us think more about, well, then why, why isn't this art? Why are, is, is that just our snobbery? Like, why is this not art? Look at the artistic decisions that are going into making this, you know? I hope that answers your question. That's funny, because we just had a chat today in my class about video game character deaths that made us cry. Oh, really? <laughs> in, in our younger days, everything from Floyd the Robot in Planetfall, which is a text-only game, to uh, uh, Final Fantasy characters sure. and that yeah. sort of thing, but... Um, hi, um, I just was wondering, 
Um, what's the story of the family after this project? Because obviously, you know, the game was very well received, and the documentary as well. Um, is Ryan working on any new projects? I think you said, I think Amy was her name. She was doing TED Talks about gaming. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking that. They're doing, they're doing really well. Um, as you saw, they've got a daughter, Zoe, um, who's, who's adorable and doing great. Um, and um, the, the team behind the game is mostly completely reunited on working on a new project. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what it is, so I'm just not going to. Um, but I, I think I can. I just don't want to get in trouble. Um, but, uh, but it's really exciting. It's a really, really cool project. Um, it's, it's for a, you know, a, a really cool company. And it's not related to the content of this, of this game at all. It's them, you know, they're now working in the field of game design, which is what they wanted to do. Um, and, you know, they've, Amy, you know, you know, has, has, you know, is now writing, you know, for this project and is, is, is so, is so brilliant. You know, I think, I think she's so smart and, and so many great ideas for the game came from her. And it was so cool for me to watch, um, you know, to watch her kind of be able to, to, to realize how great her creativity is in this medium that she, for the longest time, had no reason to believe she would have any aptitude in. Um, and the kids, you know, the kids are getting, you know, getting a little older now. Um, but everyone's great, and um, and we still talk all the time. Um, we still, I, I just saw Amy at her, at her TED talk in in New York. And um, are and you allowed to say what your role is in this game? I, I, I'm auditioning for a voice acting part in, <laughs> in their new game. You've reached the pinnacle. I'm auditioning. I don't want to say that I've got it. Although maybe if I say that I got the part, they have to give it to me. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So on the portions of them, of them coming up with various concepts for the game, such as you were mentioning the facelessness of the characters or how to implement that dragon cancer or the ending, and, and the portions with showing off the family, how much of that was recreating them coming up with ideas? How much of that was all just natural, happened to capture it on camera? Mm-hmm. And how much of it was them filming themselves and then giving you that footage? That's a great, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, all the moments where they're talking about ideas for the, for the game are, are all things that just happened organically. Um, and a lot of them were in our first... The, a lot of those early scenes are... It's almost chronological. It's in the first few days of, um, of filming. Um, but what was really interesting was the way in which there was ways that the film influenced the game and vice versa. Mm. Um, and for, exa- for example... Um, the feeding ducks games, like you know, early on and the for, towards the beginning of the film, you hear like the kids feeding ducks and and that audio. Um, that that kind of uh, that I, I it's funny because there's so many ways it goes back and forth. I don't remember what came first, but I think that we they had a scene. Uh, we we filmed the scene of them playing with ducks afterwards, right? Um, uh, which is in San Francisco, and that was unrelated to the uh, to that scene in the video game. But that audio of uh, of them playing with the ducks, they asked if they could use it, and they used that audio in the creation of the final version of the scene in the game. Another example: um, underwater, uh, when Ryan's avatar is floating underwater, uh, there's that scene that we're filming of him going underwater. 
uh, we're only filming that because uh, we were like, hey, like maybe it would be really great to get some like reference material for Ryan to use to like animate himself underwater. So, and then it, there's a lot of meaning that came from that. But we, I guess, the thing is that we were always in service of the same goal, right? Like we were documenting Joel and the family; they were documenting Joel and themselves. So it was the same story, but from a different angle. Which meant that there was a lot of collusion between the two. You could go through the almost the entire game and see some way in which there was either an influence on the film's content or on the on the game's content from the other. Um, and certain situations where one scene in the game or the film simply exists just because it was filmed in the first place in the art in the in the idea of creating something for the game. So it's very like dialectical and very mm-hmm. complex, but it really ended up being um, an incredibly round circle of, of, of creating art because everything was linked to each other because the, the goals were the same. It was, it, was, it was while Joel was alive, it was to you know, create a game that celebrated him. And after Joel passed, it was to, to create a memorial for him. Uh, and it was always geared around this idea of how, what are the best ways to do that? What are the most creative ways to do that? And what are the best ways to illustrate the experience that this family is going through? Yeah, um, in the film, you guys had a couple scenes about um, with Amy and uh, Ryan reading comments and kind of mm-hmm. criticism and um, responses to the development of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, it brought me back uh, in 2014, was in the beginning of 2014, you filmed most of this in 2014? In, most of this was filmed uh, in 2014, yeah, I think. So, so, or 13, I don't I know. I think it was, 13, it was early that year that everything kind of blew up with Gamergate and the backlash against oh. Zoe Quinn and yeah. Depression Quest and all the kind of like empathy game hate came out. I was wondering, was there more of that that the Greens experienced? Like, Because I know a lot of developers at that time were really personally affected by that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, was a filmmaker involved with it? kind of being more on the public face, have you personally experienced any mm. uh, any of the kind of dark side of that community or was there more of that with the family? Because that's always, at that time, especially in 2014, that was kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, I just was curious. No, that's a good question. Is everyone familiar with... Um, probably not, but... Could you, you could probably do a better job of explaining <laughs> Gamergate than I can. Oh, boy. In a brief sentence It's such a two. large, it's like a large octopus of things, <sighs> but... Um, uh, it was a, a huge backlash against um, primarily three female developers, Zoe Quinn and Brianna Wu, and um, uh, why am I blanking? Anita. Oh, Anita Sarkeesian, who actually makes um, uh, YouTube videos about uh, feminist, like female tropes in games called Feminist Frequency. Um, but there was a, a brouhaha, and uh, essentially these women were. Um, receiving things like death threats. Um, they were being doxxed, which is when all of your personal information is revealed online and uh, swatted. Yeah. So where SWAT teams are called to your home um, and they were afraid for their lives um, and have canceled engagements. And so um, as a sort of backlash against these alternative games and, and a perception of um, uh, unfair ethics in games journalism, which I don't believe. Yes, and yeah, in general sort of, yeah, um, along those lines, that, that sounds right. Um, but uh, to answer your question, um, they've gotten angry internet comments. You know, like they, they haven't been, thankfully, you know, targeted or, or threatened in any serious way. There's a lot of transparency. I'll give one example is um, uh, at PAX, at that first PAX conference, the gaming conference, 
someone, you know, took a, a photo, I believe, of the tissue box and the family photo next to the two computer screens mm-hmm. and said something along the lines on Twitter of like, can't believe this. Like, you know, how manipulative is this? Like, can't believe that like whatever company is making this game is like doing that just to try to get people to feel bad. And Ryan, to his credit, responded to the tweet and said, hey, I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, hey, I'm Ryan. I'm the creator of That Dragon Cancer. It's actually my son. And uh, I put the tissues out because people have needed them and asked for them. But I'd, I'd love you to come by and see what we're about. And that person came by and apologized. Mm. You know? um, there, there, there's, um, I'm not sure that would work every time, but there is... Um, I learned a lot from Ryan. I've learned a lot about greeting people where they are and treating them with respect regardless of how much they disagree with you or how much you disagree with them. Um, I think we could all learn lessons from that these days too. Um, And especially when it comes to the way people felt about his game, um, no no one really was aggressively upset about that Dragon Cancer once they played it. You know, because they're, the fear of what that dragon cancer would be is the same reason that a lot of these seats might be empty. You know, it's, it's because people are afraid to go there and people don't like the idea that someone is going there. I mean, not necessarily in, as, in, as, in an aggressive way, the way that that person who tweeted did, um, but people are afraid and, and rightly so. It's scary. Um, it's hard to do anything with, with grief except like look at it. And, and, and move it around in your hand and try to figure out where to put it. And, uh, and that's what I think Ryan was, was trying to do by making the game. We have one in the upper middle. Uh, hi. Uh, I just had a couple of questions. Uh, the first one, they're really quick, though. Uh, so first question, uh, today I experienced the game and the film, and I really thought they were really great. And like you said earlier, you said they were collaborative. They really kind of bring out the best out of each other. Uh, I plan on telling my friends about this bank, about both the game that is available on Steam, I believe, and yes. the film. Is there like an order you would recommend for me to tell my friends? Mm. Maybe they should try the game first, yeah. or the film first. No, that's such a good question, and I don't know. Like, I don't know which is which is better to do first. You know, I've always, you know, the situation usually that people are in in the documentary film community or where where I show the film at film festivals is they're you know more interested in the medium of, of film than in gaming so they watch the film and then they're moved to play the game at an audience like this or at game conferences people have played the game and then they see the film um, I don't I don't know which is better um, we've we've never tried to make a third experience you know which was which would be I guess a fusion of the two we've thought about it but we've never really tried because we like that both exist on their own merit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I don't know the answer to that. I personally think it depends on what is your preferred medium because I think that that's a fair thing, right? It's like the, some mediums aren't for everybody. Like some people like painting more than poetry. And there's nothing, mm-hmm. it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with with poetry if you like painting more but if that's the way that you for example ryan you know he was a video game developer like that was his medium of choice if ryan was wanting to express himself and his feelings regarding his son and his son having cancer he wouldn't have chosen painting because that wasn't his medium of choice so i think my my guess would be that the, the the ideal order is what do you want to lean into first 
you know? How do you want to go into that story first? And what are you more, or maybe what are you more curious about the creation of? You know, are you more interested? Because I think if you watch both, it really, it's impossible to separate that from experiencing the art of both and thinking about the way in which they, they cohabitate with one another. So, um, so I, think, I think it's a really good question, but I, think, I do think it is a matter of preference, which is okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, seeing both today, I thought it was really surreal to see the connections between the two. Sure. And um, second question, it was, you brought up that they were hesitant to call the game an empathy game, or they, were, they didn't really like the association with empathy games. And there was a question earlier about the backlash against those. Is there a term that you guys would coin that would better describe the game, or has one not been created yet? Sure. I mean, I... Um, I don't, I don't know if it's Ryan and Amy that didn't like the phrase empathy game, but I think that some developers in general like, are not against it. I don't actually remember how they specifically feel about the phrase empathy game. But they've told, I, I also don't remember, but I think they've told me that there is a phrase that they prefer more. Um, I, think, I think... Art game or serious game, maybe? Art game is tricky because they, then it's like, you know, like, what, what about the other game? Right. That are, you know? Um, right. But, uh, but I think, but I mean, I, I like personally calling these, this particular game, I think, is an autobiographical game. Mm. Um, I, I think that, um, I think that obviously the tricky thing is that game is associated with play. And it's hard to think of play in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very difficult. And Ryan has great answers for, for talking about how he feels about what, how this is play. But it's hard. We're battling against the stereotype, right? Like, if we're talking about this being a game, we're battling against the stereotype of, like, a game being reductive and simplistic and unemotional, the opposite of emotional, mm-hmm. escapism, right? Like he says. So calling it a game in the first place is maybe the wrong thing. Interactive mm-hmm. art? I don't know. That sounds kind of boring. Like, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways to, to refer to it. I don't know what's right. I don't think I don't think we'll I don't think we'll decide anytime soon. Um, I wish I wish I wish there was a phrase that worked. Yeah, I'd call I it think that. It, that the op-ed in the New York Times would be a good reference too, because Anna Anthropy mm-hmm. explicitly rejects the idea of, right. of, of you being able to walk a mile in her shoes. Um, but it doesn't mean that it, the game itself is not a valuable experience. Mm-hmm. That was that was I th- yeah it's like a, almost that was almost the rejection against the idea of empathy in the first place, mm. and and there's a lot of writing on that like some scholarly writing about the the dangers of empathy you know and the problems with feeling as though just because you play a game you know right. the experience just because you see that film you understand that right. culture right. you know just because you read that book you get this piece of history it's um, the commodification of experience. And it's dangerous. It could be, it, some people perceive it that way. You know. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, hi. So from what I've seen of like the game play, I noticed that the player's kind of perspective is from like a separate entity from the Green family. Um, what was like the thought process behind that, rather than using, say, Ryan's perspective or even Joel's perspective um, for the player? Mm-hmm. Um, good question. It's actually uh, the moments that we show are from like a, a neutral perspective. The game actually moves throughout <coughs> different perspectives. And there's one scene, the scene that opens the film, with, if you recall, it's the rain filling the room when the family's told that Joel is terminally ill. In that scene, you can actually move in between everyone's perspective. 
the doctor's perspective, and you hear his internal monologue as the dialogue of the scene plays out. You can be inside of Ryan's head and hear what Ryan is thinking as the exact same scene plays out again. And that's, you know, that's very intentional. Um, to the idea of how you experience the story and the narrative. There's some, like, the beginning of the game, you're actually the duck. Like, in the, the very <laughs> opening scene of that Dragon Cancer, the video game itself, you are the duck. You're, you're, all you can do is quack and eat. Like, it's like that's the, the gameplay for, um, for a little while. Um, that changes, obviously. But um, that, that, I think that's a really important part of, of, the, of the difference between the film and the game that we couldn't quite show. Uh, in the film itself, is the way in which the interactivity is, is, is fundamental to the storytelling. You know? Yeah, in many ways, I don't think that uh, having the game from Joel's perspective would work because the, the point seems to be that it's unknowable, right? That there's a mystery of sure. consciousness behind yeah, that absolutely. experience. But, um, sorry. Hi. Yeah, um, so I just had a question. Um, I was just curious, as a filmmaker, uh, how you went about creating a safe environment for this family and really getting them to trust you um, in this, obviously, very sensitive time in their life. Thank you for asking that. It was so important to us, to Malika and I, to feel as though we were never intruding. And uh, we always gave the Greens the option to tell us to turn the cameras off. They never asked us to. Um, I think it's because they were already engaged in the art of documentation. With, them, with their own art. Um, they were doing the same thing that we asked them mm-hmm. that we could join them on. We joined them in the act of their documentation. And I think personally that people don't you know, appear in documentary films of this sort unless there's something that they want to say. And I, I, it was very clear that there was things that they wanted to say because they were making a, a piece of art that was all about saying them. Um, so that was a benefit, right? You know, it wasn't that helped the situation in terms of making sure it felt safe and stayed safe because if they were, if they were unwilling, if we had to convince them, I'm not sure it would ever feel safe. Mm. But obviously they didn't need convincing because this was the world that they were already living in and had been living in. It's like what Amy says halfway through the film. is like we're always documenting everything. We're filming everything to keep it. Um, the, the only time that we didn't film uh, was Joel's funeral. Mm. We wanted to just be there as friends. Um, we, we asked if we could. Uh, we asked if they didn't want us to. They said, it's not that we don't want you to. You can if you want, but do you want to? We didn't. You know, we, we didn't want to. The game was the funeral. You know, the game was the memorial. And that's something that we realized that didn't take long to realize in the, in the edit room. Um, the, that the, uh, the, the honoring of Joel was something that we'd been doing all along and they'd been doing all along with the work they were doing. Uh, I hope that answers your question. It was really important to us to make sure they felt safe. Um, but they were artists, you know, so there was an innate, and there is, and always with a film like this, where it's like based on people doing their real life and not staging things or just interviews, there is always an element of collaboration. Just because someone's in the room and agreeing to be filmed, that is collaboration. Um, it just sometimes gets more than that. And in this case, obviously, it was a lot more. <laughs> uh, we, really, we really did see them as equals in a lot of ways in terms of the art that they were making and that we were making. Lucas. <laughs> um, I was just wondering, did you have, as a filmmaker and as a person, did you have any kind of reservations about making this movie, like that you were going to be getting involved in going through this with them? Like you said, you went to his funeral and stuff, so if I 
Like, I think if I had to do that, I'd sit down and be like, I'm going to spend an extended amount of time with this person. I think that would really make me think about whether or not I wanted to do it. Yeah, um, there, it's, there were two kind of... First of all, like in terms of the, the you know, the, the, the time investment um, and like thinking about investing in something like this, it started, the film started, we started out thinking the film would be a short film. Uh, we thought it would mm. be a 10-minute short film. And if there are any sort of people who are interested in filmmaking here um, and making feature-length documentaries, I would really recommend that as a way to think about the work you make. Um, maybe even with games, too, because we were starting out it was a lot easier to think about the story as a 10-minute story um, before we thought about it as a 22-minute story or a 39-minute story or, in, in this case, an 80-minute story. And thinking about the, the lengthening of the, of the plot uh, and of the duration made us think about, so why? Like, why, why is it longer? Like, what's, what's going to be the reason that this would be a longer story? So I, I bring that up because it's the first part of the answer to your question, which is that at first we didn't quite know how long we'd be filming. You know, we didn't know how long this process would take. Um, we certainly um, didn't expect Joel to pass. We didn't because he had been stable for, for three years. And we knew it was always a possibility. We knew that he was technically terminally ill. But for some reason, it didn't really, it just didn't occur to, to us at first um, because it wasn't about Joel passing. It was about this one thing, which was just the making of the game. And when we went to game conference and we saw that Joel's health was not getting better, but was in fact deteriorating, and Ryan was kind of having this experience, um, we knew the film would be longer, um, and it would have to be longer to explore these different ideas and to follow a length of time, which adds a dimension to a story. And uh, that, you know, that did change our involvement in the dynamics. Um, yeah, I think in terms of emotionally staying involved, I mean, it was... It was there were parts of the film that were incredibly difficult to, to make. I, in terms of the shooting, um, I, would, I would be filming um, with the camera, and Malika, um, seven times out of eight, would, would uh, not be doing sound, um, meaning she would be like in the other room listening or texting me notes um, that I was trying to look at my phone or standing next to me and talking to me. Um, and one time out of eight, she'd be actually like holding the boom pole or something, just because we wanted to, it to stay intimate. We wanted it to feel intimate all the time. The crew was just the two of us throughout. Um, but those scenes um, in the hospice, uh, when the hospice nurse would come, um, and that, that, that was the last day of Joel's life, you know, and we didn't know that. We still didn't even at that point know that. Um, but filming those things was very difficult. It's very difficult, especially that last day when Ryan says what he says to us. You know, like, I don't understand why I'm letting you guys be here. But he answers his own question, you know, and I'm glad he did. I'm glad he told us what his answer was because I, 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 I it made sense to me why, we were, why he let us be there. We were, we were more witnesses for, for him. And I'm, I'm happy to say that they love the film. You know, like, they've watched it so many times. Mm-hmm. And as Ryan has said in, in a couple of Q&As we've done, he thinks of it that he gets his key, feels like he gets his son back for 80 minutes. And that's like, it's the best compliment I could hope for, you know? Um, so it's really, it's really powerful for me to know that that investment was something that yielded something that wasn't just for, 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 for me as a filmmaker, but yielded something for the family, you know? Yeah, great final question. Well, please, please join me in thanking David Osset for being here. Thank you.
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.